What is up, everyone? My name is OJ Tucker, host of the OJ Tucker podcast, the only comedy tennis podcast that talks about a political and societal culture as a whole. My name is OJ Tucker, as the name would suggest. Happy Tuesday. Hopefully, you guys enjoyed your weekend, spending time with your family, your friends, watching the National Bank Open as well for both the WTA singles and ATP singles. There's a little bit of news that we can get into for today in terms of news outside of the tennis world. There's no, new, there's no news outside of the tennis world. I tried my best to look at recent political news and events and i'm like why subject myself to this torture if i myself don't enjoy talking about it why would you enjoy listening to it so for me personally there was no new new no new political events or news events that caught my interest or caught my eye and honestly i i don't mind it i really don't mind it i'm very happy to be like off the grid for the past two three days i was I wasn't on social media at all for the past two, three days. I, I did nothing for the past two, three days. So I consider that a dub. I consider that a W. I consider that a win. The more detached I am from any news whatsoever, the happier I am. Honestly, the happier I am. Uh, so there is no news outside of the tennis world that we can discuss for today. In terms of this podcast, it's all going to be uh, tennis-related news. Uh, we can discuss Cotton Eye Joe playing during a pivotal Iga Swiatek versus Jessica Bugula tiebreaker in a second set that happened on Saturday. So if you guys don't know, at 4-3, Pegula was leading uh, with Swiatek serving. And in the middle of a point, a pivotal point, where Pegula could have easily won that point if the match was able to resume without the song, all of a sudden a song played called Khan Naijo. And it caught everybody by storm. It caught everybody off guard. It was hilarious in the worst way possible. But it definitely did cost Jessica Gula that set because she would end up losing that set. 6 7 7 4 was a tiebreaker in that set. And she was leading 4 3 at one point, you know, so that does mean a lot. And a match that could have easily been in straight sets was unfortunately taken to a third set. And a lot of people could say that it was because of the fact that all these matches were crammed in together that was no that there was no rest whatsoever between matches and they do have a point there i'm not gonna lie i'm not gonna lie and sit here and say that you know obviously the lack of a rest definitely did affect jessica bagula in that second set but in terms of the mentality in terms of shaking her off her rhythm it definitely did play a role in that as well so i do want to discuss cotton nigel being played and a pivotal Iga versus Jessica Pagula semifinal tiebreak. And my overall thoughts on it as well. Uh, I also want to discuss the my recap of the Jessica Pagula versus Ludmilla Samsonova match that happened in Montreal yesterday. It was the final at the National Bank Open. And Pagula won in straight set 6-1, 6-love. She was able to bagel Ludmilla Samsonova in the second set overall. I, for one, have had zero interest in watching this match because I just knew it would be an instant dub and an instant win for Jessica Bagula. As soon as she, I saw that 6-1, I'm like, oh, damn, like, this is going to be crazy. Uh, and when you see the double falls by Samsonova in this match, and pivotal times, might I add, it definitely did feel as if the lack of, of rest between these matches definitely did affect their overall play or her overall play, her overall play more in particular. So I do want to discuss all that between Jessica Gula and Ludmilla Samsonova. But first, let's discuss the more important or the most important news that happened in tennis. And that is the men's singles that happened in the National Bank Open in Toronto between Yannick Sinner and Alex Deminar for the Rogers Cup Final. I still call it the Rogers Cup Final. I know a lot of people like to call it the National Bank Open. Some people like to call it other tournaments. But for me, it's always going to be known as the Rogers Cup Always will be known as the Rogers Cup. I I can't do, deal with these name changes. I just can't. You know, a lot of people like to call, you know, Paul Brown Stadium in Cincinnati, Paycor Stadium. I'm not one of those individuals. I still call it Paul Brown Stadium. It's, all, it's always going to be known as Paul Brown Stadium to me. You know, people like to call, you know, Crypto.com Arena, Crypto.com Arena. For me personally, it's always going to be the Stable Center. You know, there's just certain names that I will always call things. And that's just because I grew up calling those things, those things. So for me personally, it's just the Rogers Cup. That's how I view it. That's how I'm going to always view it. Um, but overall, this was a good match. Uh, if you guys don't know, Yannick Sinner was able to beat Deminar uh, as he beat him in straight sets 6-4, 6-1. Uh, 
Really good match for Yannick Center. Really sets himself up good and in a good position for the U.S. Open. And I'm excited to see what's to come for him. I really am. Uh, let's get right into this match, though. Uh, so if you guys don't know, the first set, very close by the two of them. They were able to really go neck and neck for long periods of time. Even though Sinner was up 2-11 at one point, Deminar did come back to make 2-all. Um, while at no point did Deminar ever have the lead in this first set, you could definitely tell that he really did put a lot of effort into making this match competitive. And for Deminar, he played four straight days in the Rogers Cup. You know, that's just how unable they were to really properly function as, as a group, as an organizer, is that they weren't able to really space out these events. They weren't able to really space out these matches. And also when you have the weather and the rain, that really forced the event to do as, as to cram in as many events as possible within that short amount of week, within that one week. And... A lot of people may have their indifferences to it. To me personally, I don't really blame the organizers for doing that. You know, I know it seems as if I was like sort of, you know, knocking them off a little bit. But for me personally, if you're an event, if you're an organizer, you know, it makes sense to cram everything up within a week. Because at the end of the day, you know, most of these players are going to go down south to Cincinnati and play at the ATP Cincinnati Open. The Western Southern Open, that is. And if you want them to play within this week and to end it within this week it's best to have as many matches as you can it's not ideal per se i I won't say it's ideal obviously this does take a toll on their on their health both physical and mental health um but for an event organizer i don't think that what they did was wrong you know i know that i've seen a lot of criticism levied against the rogers cup for how they were able to force these players to play as many matches as possible but again, when you're dealing with other tournaments happening, it's just the cause of it. This will be the result of it. And it's it's not ideal per se, but it's just what it comes with it. It comes with the territory. It comes with the baggage. You know, if you're a player that's struggling to reach the U.S. Open and you need enough ATP points to qualify for the U.S. Open, then you got to make sure that you do well at these tournaments. And that comes with playing under short notice and playing with very few hours of, uh, of time in between these matches. That's just what happens. Uh, so I know that I saw the criticism against this tournament for doing that, but again, I don't necessarily blame them. And truth be told, if there was no rain, then I don't think that this would happen. Obviously, there were weather delays, there were rain delays that affected the scheduling of these matches. So if there were if there was no rain at all, I don't think that this match would be affected in slightest. I really don't. Uh, or this event would be this stretch of matches would be affected in the slightest. Uh, so let's just get right into the match now that the disclaimer is out of the way. Let's just get right into this match. So Center holds in the first game to make a one love, really setting it up right for himself, really setting things in motion. Uh, so he would hold to make a one love. Forehand down the line by Center allows him a break to make a two love as Diminar forehand doesn't get over the net. Um, overall, I felt as if Diminar in the baseline play did really well, uh, or did well enough to warrant it to be competitive in that first set. Obviously, things definitely did take a tumble in that second set, uh, but in that first set in particular, I thought Diminar did really well at the baseline play. You know, he was really able to compose himself in long rallies, allowed Sinner to make mistakes, and while at no point was he intimidating at the net or could change up his game whatsoever i felt as if when it came to baseline play it allowed there to be a difference between sinner and with deminar but deminar it felt as if you know he was able to take some miles off of his ground strokes really able to be a more controlled player at the baseline be more of a counter puncher if you will and i think in a lot of ways that really benefited him in in in, in ways that we haven't seen him in the in the past and overall, I think that this was just a continuation of his play in the past few days. Because, again, this is like his fourth straight day of playing tennis, right? So, obviously, he did have to compose himself. Otherwise, he would have just destruct, self, just self-destructed on court if that were to be the case. Um, but overall, this was just a, a nice sort of baseline play style for Deminar. Um 
but that was not a good point for for Deminar because uh, he was not able to get that forehand over the net. Uh, so great backhand down the line by Deminar to set up break point for Deminar. Uh, backhand by center goes long as Deminar breaks serve to make it 2-1. That was not the immediate point after that break point chance, but it was still a nice way for uh, Deminar to get that break to make it 2-1. Return serve by center doesn't go over the net as Deminar ties it up to make it 2-wall. So he's able to tie it up, as I said previously. So that was good. At least he tied it up and tried to make it somewhat competitive in that first set. You know, that's all I could really ask for for Deminar. Um, backhand cross-court by Sinner allows him to hold on love to make a 3-2 changeover. Sinner's backhand goes long as Deminar gets point on a 32-shot rally to make a 40-30. That was easily the best point of that entire match. Because it really goes to show you that Deminar can hang with the top talent. And not only that, but it also goes to show you that there is a pattern to Deminar's ability to win. And if you're able to get to the net early and often and really set that mentality ahead, which is to be aggressive against Deminar, that to me really signifies that you can be successful against Deminar. If you can go to the net early and often and have these amazing first serves that are just focused on speed and focused on quickness and if you're able to accelerate and end points earlier than they have to be end then i do think that you can win against Deminar. i think that there is a method to winning against Deminar, and a lot of people may say that oh Deminar is a lot like andy murray right i don't think that that's the case because with andy murray i mean andy murray does really well against serving volley players right i mean he did really well against john isner for i mean i don't think john isner ever won against andy murray ever maybe once a freak time late in his career but overall i mean andy murray is, is, does really well against serving volley players and that's because of the fact that he's able to change it up a bit you know he's able to incorporate those lobs you know he's able to take them away from the net uh he's able to really focus the focus on pinning them down at the baseline and not letting them get to the net I think with Deminar, he's still young. And, I mean, even though he's my age, 24, uh, he's still young. And that matters a lot, especially at this time period as well. So, for me personally, I think for Deminar, what he just needs to focus on in the future is to make sure that he's able to change it up a bit. He can he should incorporate more of the lobs. Because there were times where he did lob in this match that I, I did think was beneficial for Deminar. Uh, so I definitely say, you know, incorporating more shots of lobs. Uh, if at any point your opponent feels like they can go to the net, maybe also go up to the net as well and just try and, you know, battle at the net in terms of, you know, offering, you know, volleys or, you know, drop shots or even, you know, incorporate a drop shot here and there. And I think these are the certain things that could really switch things up because while that 32-shot rally did look good, you know, and while he did get that point, I felt as if there were times where either these two players, not Devin person specifically, but I felt like either either of these two players could have easily just ended the point by adding a drop shot or by just going to the net. I feel like if Alcross was in that situation, Alcross would have definitely just hit that drop shot at 16 or 17 shots in. Um, so overall, while that was a nice point for Deminar, and while that there were that could have been an easy out for Deminar to really continue that that behavior of getting points on long shot rallies. That just wasn't the case for Deminar. He wasn't able to really build off of that momentum. And you'll see that for the rest of the match as well. Uh, so great law by center to get the break to make a 4-2. Backhand by center doesn't go over the net as Deminar breaks from love 30 down to make a 4-3. Um, just great resilience on that point for, for Deminar to come back from love 30 down to make a 4-3. Good enough. Uh, 24 shot rally allows Deminar to make an advantage as Sinner's forehand goes long. Again, you know, those long shot rallies, I know people don't like to see it. I know it can get quite boring for some people, but again, sometimes, you know, being counterpuncher can be beneficial. And I felt for Deminar allowing Sinner to make mistakes and unforced errors at key times, that was the method to his madness. And while it didn't, didn't necessarily pan out the way that he intended it to, I mean, he lost in that second set 6-1, uh, I definitely did feel as if there were times where if he was just able to just get to the net and end it earlier or incorporate a drop shot or not be too comfortable at the baseline, I felt as if that could have been a little bit better for Deminar in this match. Um, so yeah, overall, just wanted to let that out there. Uh, Deminar ties it up at 4-all as Sinner's forehand goes long. Sinner's ace allows Sinner to go up 5-4 changeover. Uh, 
Um, and that's sort of where you saw the writing on the wall for Deminar. Uh, drop shot by Sinner, not returned by Deminar as he sets up break point, set point. And Deminar backhand goes short as Sinner breaks on love to take the set 6-4. Uh, overall, start off okay for Deminar. I'm not going to say it went great for Deminar. Start off okay. Uh, sort of tapered off at the end. Um, but overall, Sinner was just able to be more diverse in his shot selection. You know, again, as I mentioned before, a drop shot allowed Deminar, allowed Sinner to set up break point. Um, you know, Sinner was also very aggressive when it came to serves. He understood the importance of getting that first shot in where it's you have control. You know, serv- serving is the one time where you have full control over the type of shot that you want to make at any given time. And Sinner really understood that and really understood the assignment. I understand that that term can be cringe when somebody says understood the assignment but center understood the assignment um and i felt as if there were parts where deminar could have easily changed it up a bit but he just wasn't able to and i think that that's what shows you the difference between center and deminar is his ability to change it up when need be offer some variation to his to his shot selection and we saw that in that first set with with center but we saw that even more apparently so in that second set where he was able to beat him 6-1 and Again, that's what separates the great players from the not-so-great players is their ability to really change it up and, and, and course correct when need be. Uh, let's, get right in, let's get right into the statistics for that first set, shall we? So the set one to, took 53 minutes. Not that bad. Um, there were eight winners by, by Sinner um, in that match. Uh, one total for, for Deminar. Unforced errors. J- Yannick Sinner had more unforced errors than Deminar 14 to Deminar's 9. Uh, eight came from his forehand, five came from his backhand, one came from his serve. Um, overall, I mean, Deminar did really well in terms of going after his forehand. And we really saw that apparently in that first set. Now, if he was able to continue that, maybe it would have been a different result. But overall, just nice, nice for, uh, for Sinner. Um, again, just, just, I mean, net points one, three out of three for three for three for Sinner, three out of six for Deminar. You know, I mean, Deminar did go to the net at points. And again, yeah, it was 50-50. Uh, but when he was able to get points in the net, those points stood out because it was a change of direction for Deminar. And I think that's what really mattered uh, for Deminar. So overall, first set, you know, the more competitive out of the two. Unreturned serves, 10 out of 27. Uh, first center, Deminar, 4 out of 34. So uh, not, not, not great for, for Deminar. Um, but yeah, overall, you know, 37, 12 points, one first center to 26. I mean, across the board, you saw center really able to take it over Demar, except for the unforced errors. Um, but yeah, overall, nice, nice set for center. So yeah, second set overall, just pure destruction by center on Demar. I mean, there's nothing more you can say besides that. I mean, center was just able to really occupy all areas of the court, utilize all areas of the court to his advantage, allowed Demar to make mistakes. Uh, he caught himself in a rhythm that he just couldn't avoid or get evade from. And you really saw that in full form. I mean, I thought Sinner played exceptionally well in that second set. And if that second set has any sort of indication as to how he will do in the US Open, then you'll fare well and you'll enter that final week of the US Open and hopefully be able to top eight or even top four. I mean, that's what, what I think is the overall prediction for Yannick Sinner now is being able to top eight and top four this year's US Open. And anything besides that, I think that'll be a disappointment, in all honesty. Uh, so overall, I have high hopes for Sinner in the US Open. But let's get right into the second set, shall we? So Sinner holds to make a one love. Sinner's backhand doesn't go over the net as Deminar ties it up to make a one all. And that's sort of where it was all she wrote for Deminar because it was all Sinner from here on out. Uh, Sinner's ace allows him to hold on love to make a 2-1 changeover. Great backhand passing shot by Sinner to make a love 15. Just a great shot. I mean, Deminar came to the net, and credit to Deminar for at least trying to make himself go to the net. He may have got to the net a little too early, um, you know, and I, I think as if at that point in time, it would have been best for him to just go for the dropper. Uh, but again, it's easy to course correct and, you know, second guess and, and to sort of offer an assessment after a, a point is done. But in my opinion, when I saw him go to the net, I'm like, no, go for the dropper instead. Go for the dropper. Go for the drop shot. Don't go to the net. You're going to get burned. 
Uh, so yeah, overall, just a great backhand passing job by Sinner. Just an absolute thing of beauty from Sinner. Uh, great dropper by Sinner to make a 15-30 uh, within that same same game. Demonar backhand doesn't go over the net as Sinner breaks to make 3-1. Demonar forehand is dead in the net as Sinner holds to make a 4-1 changeover. And then you sort of saw you know a continuing spiral uh, for Demonar. Forehand by Demonar is dead of the net as Sinner breaks and makes it 5-1. Forehand is dead of the net as Sinner takes a National Bank Open title make it 6-1. Yes, Yannick Sinner has won the National Bank Open title. I don't know why I just exclaimed myself by saying yes. I don't know. That was not me trying to... Whatever. Yannick Sinner is your Rogers Cup winner for 2023. Uh, overall, I'm... This is great news if you're a fan of tennis. I mean, he's young. He's in his early 20s now. So the future looks okay for tennis. The future looks okay for tennis. The fact that he won the Rogers Cup final, that matters a lot. Yes, you can... Criticize the tournament for having all these matches play with a short amount of time span to rest and properly rest. And that's one of the main reasons is why Alcaraz lost in the quarterfinal of this tournament. Yes, it's it's very easy to blame this tournament for the lack of scheduling and for the lack of time rest for these players. And by, by all means, I don't disagree with it. But at the same time, I don't blame the tournament for running all these matches all at once. Because at the end of the day, all these players are going to be going down south at Cincinnati to play the Western Southern Open later in the week. And most of these players, they're not staying, right? So you got to do as much as you can to excite the fans, excite the players that where this could be their first time playing at a Masters 1000 title. And where they don't really have the shot to really be able to make the U.S. Open unless they're able to fare well at this ATP 1000s tournament. You know, so for them, I think it's helpful and beneficial for them because... This is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to really shake things up and change things. And I think, for me, like, when it comes to running an event, you know, I still believe in that the show must go on mentality, where despite whatever happens, you know, you got to excite the fans, right? The, these fans paid an arm and a leg to be here. You know, you don't know their situation. You don't know how much of an emotional release this match could have been for them, or these string of matches could have been. So... What matters is entertaining and exciting the fans, and I think the Rogers Cup really was able to do that. Uh, before we get into the next match, I do want to like talk about the overall statistics for this match. So Sinner had 15 winners and 25 unforced errors compared to Deminar's three winners throughout the entire match uh, and 21 unforced errors, which is... I was surprised when I saw that Deminar had less unforced errors than Yannick Sinner because I really did feel as if the unforced errors definitely did pick up in that second set. I mean, if you look at the first set, I mean, there were nine unforced errors for Deminar, and then he added 12 more in the second set to make it 21. He only had two more winners in that second set. Um, yeah, I mean, overall, it was just... At the end of the day, Yannick Sinner was just better of a, of a tennis player, just better at everything compared to that, say, Deminar. And it really goes to show you that Yannick Sinner is able to hang and do well. And even though the match lasted for an hour and 28, um, at the end of the day, Yannick Sinner is in good standing to compete against the Alcaraz of the world with the Djokovic's of the world. If Djokovic is playing in the US Open, again, I have no idea. Apparently, Djokovic is, scheduled, is clear to play. Uh, I saw him practice on the US courts yesterday or the few days in the past. So who knows? I mean... I, I don't know if if you if Djokovic is playing the U.S. Open. Uh, I, I really I, I I don't know. Um, okay, yeah, I, I think I think it's safe to say that he's scheduled to play. Um, <laughs> but yeah, overall, it's, it's just one of those things where you just don't know with with Djokovic. You know, that's the thing with with Djokovic and the vaccine situation is I I really don't know. I mean, I don't know if the U.S. Open lifted. Uh, if if they lifted their vaccine requirements, uh, I really I'm, I'm looking at I'm looking at it right now. We'll see what it, what it goes, uh, where it goes uh, from here. Uh, yeah, okay. So he's 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 playing. Okay, and that was over two months ago, three months ago actually. So that's kind of awkward for me that I didn't know that. Uh, but overall, it's going to be Djokovic. It's going to be Alcaraz. It's going to be Yannick Center. 
you know, these are the people that I have in mind when I think about players that are projected to play and do well and fare well in the US Open. For me personally, I still have Djokovic winning. I know it's been quite some time now since he's, he's last won it. Uh, and that's part, partly in due to the vaccine requirements and the success of Medvedev and Sinner uh, and, and Alcross last year. Uh, Sinner has also done pretty well at the US Open. Uh, but overall, uh, those are the people that I have in mind who I think will win. So yeah, overall, those are my thoughts on the match. If you have any questions, comments, uh, leave them down below. Uh, how do you how do you think Deminar did? You know, are you surprised by Deminar's lack of play or interested in, in Deminar's play? Uh, are you surprised that Wasinner won? Uh, what are your overall key takeaways from this match? Leave your thoughts, your your questions down below. I do my best to respond to each and every one of them. And that's it when it comes to this match. So let's get right into the WTA side of things. So Jessica Jessica Bagula. Played against Ludmilla Samsonova. Hopefully I'm saying her name right. And she won against Ludmilla Samsonova. 6-1, 6 love. She bageled Samsonova in that second set. And as we all know, Elena Rabakina was talking about the lack of time off between matches yesterday during her after her loss in the semifinal. And all, most of her critique I don't necessarily disagree with. Obviously, I do think that these players deserve some time off, some time rest. But again, at the same breath, under the same breath, you know, this is a tournament where a lot of these players don't really want to play at the tail end of this match or at the tail end of these tournaments, and they just want to go to the next tournament because they're already scheduled to play the US Open, right? So I don't blame the Rogers Cup for allowing these players to play more. And again, you have to understand that this event organizer... They understood that there would be rain delays. They understood that there would be weather. And, and it's out of their control as to whether or not, you know, the weather can be able to be sunny every day. So they got to do the best of their ability to make sure that they play all these matches in a considerable time frame and just do well in terms of allowing the fans to be happy that there's tennis being played in Toronto, right? So at the end of the day, I don't necessarily hate it. You know, I really don't. Um... But anyways, uh, let's get right into this match with Jessica Pagula and Ludmilla Samsonova. So Jessica Pagula won the match 6-1-6-love. Let's get right into the match. So Samsonova turns serve goes wide as Pagula goes up one love. I mean, this is just... I mean, I, I don't like to say a tennis player murdered another tennis player, but I wouldn't be surprised if there was like a crime scene after this involving the the death of Samsonova in this match because they, they really there really should be a crime scene investigation. Jessica Gula murdered Samsonova in this match. She really did. Uh, it was just uh, destruction on all fronts in the courts. I mean, Pagula was just that much better in serving and that much better in breaking serve, holding serve, getting to the net, um, you know, ending points short and quick. I mean, she was just impeccable in this match. Really impeccable. Uh, Samsonova forehand dead in the net as Pagula holds to make it to love. Great shot, great drop shot retrieval by Pagula as she dumps it off to an open area of the court for a clean winner. Uh, that was at a point where Samsonova just did a drop shot. Uh, Pagula was able to get to the net and just dump it off cross court. Just amazing, amazing clean winner for Pagula. Um, forehand goes wide as Pagula breaks again to make a three love. Uh, Pagula Ace makes a four love. Samsonova Dolefall makes a five love, and you're like, okay, like, I'm surprised that there's been that many double faults so far. I think that was like her only double fault as of that point, but we would see more double faults for Samsonova in the second set. Uh, so, oh wait, 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 wait. I'm recapping the second set. That's that's how insignificant the match was for me while watching it. Where I'm, I I think I just recapped the second set for the first set. Um, sorry, my my apologies there. Uh, so Samsonova turn serve goes wide as Piccolo goes up one love. Uh, both held serve for the next two games. I'm I'm so sorry for recapping the second set for the first set and and not the second set specifically. Uh, so both hold serve for, for the first two games. That's good enough for Samsonova. I'm, I was surprised that she was able to hold serve. Um, again, I was like, okay, at that point, it will be competitive, right? 2-1, they're both, they both hold serve. You know, I expect Samsonova to hold serve back and, you know, potentially, you know, get a break or if worse comes to worse, go to tiebreaker and, and duke it out then. 
You know, that was my overall thought process when it came to Samsonova. That just wasn't the case, though. Uh, forehand down the line by Samsonova to the net as as Pagula goes up to make a 3-1. Forehand cross-court clean winner by Pagula gets her the hole to make a 4-1. Pagula would then break Samsonova's serve to make a 5-1 again. Uh, Pagula would, uh, ser- Pagula's serve is too much for Samsonova as she takes a set 6-1. Pretty sure that was an ace. Um... But yeah, Pagula was just great when it came to serves. She was great when it came to serves and aces and breaks and, and all of that. I mean, it was just great for Pagula. Obviously, you know, you saw Samson of a hold and like, okay, it could be competitive. You know, maybe she can get a break and take that first set and, and make it to three. Or just go to tiebreaker and really set the momentum of straight and make it so that it can be competitive. But that just wasn't the case at all. It just wasn't the case. And you would see that in this match. So overall, she took the set 6-1. Good enough. Uh, second set, Samsonova doll faults as Pegula breaks to make a 1-love. Samsonova's forehand is dead the net as Pegula holds to make a 2-love. Great drop shot retrieval by Pegula. I feel like I just recapped this, which I already did, but might as well do it again for Cannon, for Kanon. Um, great drop shot retrieval by Pegula as she dumps it off to an open area of the court for a clean winner 30-40. Forehand goes wide as Pagula breaks again to make a 3-love. Pagula ace makes a 4-love. Samsonova double faults makes a 5-love. And again, that was just... We just saw Samsonova double fault many times in this match. We saw it in the first set. We will see that again in the second set. And overall, Samsonova just was not able to get it in the confines of the net, in the confines of the area. And that definitely did affect things a lot. Um... You know, overall, it was just not a well-played match for Samsonova. So, double fall by Samsonova makes a 5-love, and backhand by Samsonova goes long as Pagula gets the bagel to make 6-love. Overall, it was it was a nothing match. I felt as if the Iga Sriantec match with Jessica Pagula that happened yesterday, that was the final. Make no two mystics about it, that was the final. And overall, whoever won that match between... Whoever won that match between between Pagula and Sriantec was going to win that match between Pagula and Samsonova. And my apologies if I'm butchering your name, Samsonova. I'm very, very sorry. Or Ludmilla Samsonova. I'm very, very much sorry. Again, I, I can't pronounce... I mean, I live in America. We can't pronounce anything. So my apologies there. Uh, but overall, Pagula is in good standing to do well at the U.S. Open. I mean, if... When you look at the WTA side of things, right, and we'll get into the Cotton Eye Joe in, in just a second, but when you look into the into the WTA side of things, the difference between the WTA and the ATP is that they have the ability to be open, right? They have the ability to have parity within the WTA. At any given point, you see a person who's out of nowhere can just win a major, right? Emma Raducanu came from the U.S. Open qualifiers qualifiers and won the US Open roughly two years ago. It's been two years since she last won, right? So two years ago. And who knew that that could happen? I mean, if you look at Bianca Andreescu, Bianca Andreescu was in Toronto yesterday watching the National Bank Open between Sinner and Alex Deminar. And it took me forever to realize, oh, she won the 2019 U.S. Open. I completely forgot until a, com- a commentator said that. I'm like, wow, that is crazy to realize that it's been four years since she's last won a major. You know, so at any given point, you know, a player can win a major, right? And when you think about the goats of the past, right? When you think about Serena Williams and Venus Williams um, and Naomi Osaka, who's won a fair amount of majors uh, before, you know, her mental health breakdown or whatnot. I don't know what's going on with Naomi Osaka. I have no idea. I have no, I have no update. I don't know what's going on with her. And I, frankly, I don't particularly care or mind for it. So I hope she's doing well. I hope she's getting better. Uh, but I, I just, just know that there's no interest in me knowing about her health. You know, it, there's just no interest. I, I just can't, right, I just can't relate at all. I just can't relate to what she's going through. I just can't. Um, but when it comes to the WTA side of things, there is parity within the WTA. And overall, I think that's great. You know, And I think 
We'll see that more often in the next few weeks to come before the U.S. Open. And I think it'll take in full form once the U.S. Open does happen. Because, again, that's one of the few times where we see parity. I mean, think about Leila Fernandez. I mean, Leila Fernandez should be competing in the tail end of these AT1000s events. And we haven't seen her in quite some time now. And she was able to reach the final of the U.S. Open before. So, overall, interesting things happen, man. Especially in the WTA. You know, in the WTA, there are Cinderella runs. You know, it's a lot like hockey in a lot of ways, where you watch hockey and you're like, clearly this team, who was eighth seed, does not deserve to be in the Stanley Cup final. Obviously, there are better teams, right? But sometimes they just have a great goalie. That changes things. Or, you know, sometimes you'll see in the, in, in the NFL, a wild card team can all of a sudden reach the Super Bowl. And you'll, you'll think to yourself, how in the world did this wild card team end up reaching the Super Bowl? And at some point, it's just like a hot streak. There's nothing, nothing else to define it but a hot streak, you know, and that's what really matters at the end of the day. Um, so overall, I'm excited to see what's to come for the WTA, uh, especially for the U.S. Open, because it, it's such a anything happened in the WTA. You know, I mean, Jessica Pagula won the National Bank Open in Montreal at, you know, we could see Pagula losing the first week of the U.S. Open. Now, I don't think that's that's to be for certain, I mean, obviously, I do think that she can reach the second week, but who knows? It's tennis. It's w, it's the WTA. Anything can truly happen in the WTA, and I think that's the main takeaway for this match is that anything can happen. Who knew that a Rogers Cup finalist would go to the final and get bageled in this in the in the deciding set of a final? Who knew that? All right, like you would assume that just because you reached the final for an ATP 1000s Masters that you would be able to make it competitive, but she just wasn't. And that shows you the difference between the WTA and the ATP, is that even though Deminar lost that second set 6-1, at least he made it fairly competitive in that first set. And overall, that goes to show you the difference between both sides of tennis, is their ability to be different. Um, and and allow for there to be parity, especially in the WTA. So overall, I think in terms of watching tennis, there's been like an uptick in, in women's in women's tennis for viewership. And honestly, I don't really blame it. I don't really blame them for having that uptick. And honestly, I think it's great for tennis, right? I mean, for women's tennis, they play best out of three, especially in majors compared to that, I would say best out of five sets for men's. It's a quicker game. It ends shorter. It's just overall, in my opinion, easier to watch than men's tennis and then sometimes i watch women's tennis just because i like to see more mistakes you know like there are times where like i want to see more double faults you know and honestly you get your, your fix by watching that as well you know so overall there's more parity in women's tennis and i honestly i think that's a net benefit in all honesty uh, i do want to look at nami osaka though uh, and i want to see uh, when was the last time she played all right, so usually when you look up in Google, um, any tennis player, you can usually see their their, their recent results. Uh, that just isn't the case uh, for Naomi Osaka. Uh, but yeah, I digress. That's it. <laughs> That's it for the final recap. There, it was not much of a recap, more as to say just talking about women's tennis in general, which hopefully I didn't put you to sleep with you know, my discussion on it, because I know I didn't really do that much to add to the conversation to it. Um, but yeah, overall, just a nice win for Bagula, and I'm excited to see what's to come for her in the future, especially for the US Open. So yeah, uh, I'm expecting a lot of mix-ups, a lot of shake-ups. I'm expecting a Cinderella run from from the women, from, I don't know if Emerald Akondo is scheduled to play at the US Open, who knows, um, but I would love to see her back in full form. I think she's a great ambassador for tennis, you know, so hopefully we're able to see more of that. All right, uh, let's get into our final discussion for today before we end off, uh, before we get into our weekly pick, which there is none. I mean, I watched Annie Hall over the weekend, which I don't know if that's a movie that I would, re I would recommend for a weekly pick. I mean, it's, it's a good movie, but I don't know if it's enough for me to warrant me talking about it for like seven eight minutes right like i don't know if i should spend that much time talking about it uh there's been no recent uh, comedy specials that i watched besides the matt mccusker one so that's out of the bag usually i watch a special and then recommend that uh 
that's not the case. There are no new albums either um, that really caught my attention. No new albums. I've been re-listening to Turn on the Bright Lights, as I mostly do. Um, and that's about it. <laughs> and uh, maybe Yeezus, some Yeezus, Kanye's Yeezus. So I've already recommended those albums for my wiki picks. So I'm like, why do it again? Um, you know, no, no movies that I've watched recently. I mean, besides Annie Hall, no books either. It's been a while since I recommended a book. I mean, I'm, I've been slacking with the weekly pick. I'm, I'm well aware of that. Um, and maybe things can change. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's a writer's strike, you know, I, I can't, there's no new movies coming out either besides Barbie and Oppenheimer. And I'm like, I don't really want to watch Barbie. Uh, I don't hate Barbie per se. I'm not going to be one of those guys that are like, Oh, it's anti-man. It's like, it's a Barbie movie. Like, what do you expect from it? Right? Like I'm kind of getting tired of people before I get into Con Nigel, I'm kind of getting tired of people like injecting their political opinions in movies. Like I'm, I'm kind of tired of all these, all these think pieces and all these political commentators from across the spectrum, not just the right, but from both sides of the political aisle, just giving me their political opinions on a movie. It's like, can I just watch a movie without you in the back of my ear telling me that it's anti-male or that this is a girl boss movie or that this is a pro-feminist movie? Can I just watch this movie and come to my own conclusions? Why does everything have to be political? Why? Like, why, why can't I just watch a movie and just enjoy the movie for what it is. Why? Why is there need? Why is there this? Why is there this need for having a video essay for every movie and and now analyzing it and criticizing it and and detailing every movie to the point where it's just unfun to watch? And why does everything need to be a part of a culture war? And I think that's what we see from this recent Barbie movie. It's just like everyone has their opinion on it, and at some point or another, I just want to be able to watch a movie. Without someone like giving me their political opinion, but behind my ear, telling me how I should think and why I should think that way. Like, can I just watch a movie and enjoy it for what it is, instead of having somebody tell me for forty minutes how it's anti-male, or having somebody give me a detailed breakdown as to why it's girl boss and why it's a benefit? It's 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 a byproduct of capitalism. It's Barbie. It's designed to sell toys. Like, what are you doing? Why Why are you adding this much thought to this movie? Some movies, they don't need to have this much insight. It's like, can we just watch a movie without somebody giving their political opinions on it? I don't know. It's just, for me, I just think that culture is dead. There's no need to discuss culture anymore. It feels as if it's just a grudge where... It's difficult to even mention art in any way, shape, or form without somebody saying, oh, it's anti-male, or oh, it's pro-female, or oh, it's pro-girl boss. It's like, can I just talk about a movie and, and talk about whether or not I enjoy it or not without you injecting like political takes in it? I mean, it, it just, it's just, it's getting sad now. Like, it's, it's getting quite sad now. Like, at this point in time, I feel like, People just need to be fed baby food through through movies. Like people want everything just spoon fed to them, without any sort of like deeper meaning to it, or without any sort of like room for ambiguity whatsoever. And it's ruining cinema. It's ruining movies, right? And and you see that with this recent Barbie, you know, outrage on on the right specifically, uh, and you see it with the uh, the love for Barbie that's you see on the left, and it's like. I don't think that this movie deserves this much critical analysis. Like, I, I really don't think so. I haven't watched it, so I, who knows? I don't know. But if a movie has that much big of a budget and it's been getting that much of a return on the box office, I mean, it just crossed a billion in the box office. And honestly, I'm happy for it because at least it's not a superhero movie. So I'm at least I'm happy to see that it's doing well. But for me personally... I just don't think that there should be that much of a critique of that movie besides, hey, it's okay, or hey, it's good, I enjoyed it and for what it was, and that's all that there needs to be for that movie. To have like this much of an oh it's an anti male movie, oh you know, every every male in that in that movie is, is a beta, or oh every every male in that movie is inferior to women. It's like it's just a movie with Barbie and it's a it's for a female audience. Like what do you expect the result to be? 
<laughs> like, I don't know. I just think culture's dead, and I feel like people take it way too seriously. It's a movie about Barbie. It doesn't require that much intellectual thought behind it, you know. But anyways, culture's dead. You know, I, I'm, I'm kind of tired of talking about culture, too. I'm kind of tired to talk about culture. I was going to talk about Jordan Peterson uh, later in the podcast. But I, I just sort of, like, deleted all that from my podcast because I'm like, why talk about it? You know, there's no need for it. I was going to talk about politics today, but I was like, there's no need for it. I'm already happy as it is. Why subject myself to torture by talking about politics and talking about things that I truly, genuinely do not care about? If it's a, a debate and I see Donald Trump debating somebody and he's just viciously taking them down, that's hilarious to me. I'll talk about that. But if it comes to, like, DeSantis speaking at, like, a campaign event, why talk about it? There's no need for it. Giving it an a unpopular opinion that makes people mad, why talk about it? So yeah, overall, I'll talk about the Con Night Joe for for a little bit, and that's about it. And you you'll never hear from me on this podcast again, actually, until Thursday. Uh, but let's get right into Con Night Joe because that's what I want to talk about. So if you guys don't know, Ia Sriantek and Jessica Bagula played in a match on Saturday, and in the middle of the tiebreaker, uh, where Sriantek was serving uh, at four three in the middle of that tiebreaker during. In play, uh, all of a sudden, Con Nigel started playing. And Pagula was about to hit a volley off of a lob that Shriatek was able to set up. She had this interesting sort of stretch volley, you know, where she was able to just get it back in, in, in bounds. And as soon as it happened, as soon as she made contact with the ball, Con Nigel just played through the speaker. And all of a sudden, you just hear like an audible gasp from the commentators. You hear... You know, disruption from the crowd. They were like in a state of shock. Uh, this took Twitter by storm. It was hilarious. It was honestly the best part of the entire match. I'm not going to lie. Um, it was hilarious. I loved it. And honestly, those bloopers, whenever those happen, however far and few they may happen, it's hilarious. And I think it only adds to the sport. And I think both players really were able to sort of chide it off. Obviously, it did affect Pagula, right? I mean, she was up 4-3. In, in in that in that game and then she lost seven four um or i think it was i think she i mean she was close i don't know if she was leading four three i think maybe she was leading four three but she was close i mean i mean i think pegula actually was up four three i think i was originally right incorrect when i said that but yeah she was leading four three in that second set and overall that definitely inhibited her from being able to win in straight sets and had that song not played, I think we would have seen a different result, honestly. Uh, but for what it was, it was great. I loved it. I mean, the thing with tennis is that it's so tense. Everyone's so silent. Where, like, any sort of burst is hilarious by default. Like, you can say anything, and it, it's the most hilarious thing that audience will ever hear because everything's so tense. It's Everything's so buttoned. I mean, it's tennis, right? It's buttoned up. Everything's so tense. Everyone's told 24 7 to be silent during the entire match and people may have their disagreements with that sort of rule i personally for me i don't mind it per se i mean it's tennis right you got to focus on your concentration it's like golf in a lot of ways um but overall i thought it was hilarious and pagula actually gave a good response to it in her post-match presser she said I just thought it was funny. I never let, had that happen, let alone Cotton Eye Joe. I was like, is this really happening of all of the songs? And it's good. I mean, that's a good way of going about it, you know? I think this, this sort of endears her to uh, to the audience, especially for an American audience, because I definitely did catch a lot of people off guard. And people found it hilarious on Twitter. Um, so or, or on X, as, as Elon likes to call it nowadays, which, by the way, I saw the rebrand on my phone where like no, there's no more white bird on a blue icon anymore it's no longer that it's just a big x and it's like is this like a i feel like this is the app that's like used for like epstein's island like i feel like whenever i look like i log on to the app i'm like is this like the app that like the passengers on the lolita express use <laughs> like is this the app that they use because it looks like that it look it looks exactly like that and we're like this is like so sketch of an app, app nowadays but it is what it is but Hey, I mean, it, it caught wind on Twitter. It was good, man. It was it was good. Honestly, um, it, it. I mean, there's not, there's not much you can say about it besides that. It was funny. It was it was it was good. It was a 
it was a knee slapper as they call it it was a it was it was a chuckle you know <laughs> i'm just adding all of these like outdated terms of uh of you know comedy oh it was zany it was, it was quite zany to watch that you know <laughs> uh, but overall nice it was nice it was a nice little you know knee slapper you know it was a nice side splitter you know it's just all of these outdated terms to explain like people laughing and, and smiling is <laughs> it's just hilarious um but yeah overall hopefully more of that happens hopefully we could see more songs being played in the middle of a match in the middle of points you know just you know middle middle of it just playing you know i got a feeling by black eyed peas you know i don't know just pick the most banal song ever just pick pitbull's timber you know i mean anything it's just anything that that can spark like hilarity out of it you know i mean honestly it'd be hilarious if they just played death grips you know over like in the middle of a, of a point just play i've seen footage or anything from the money store you know or giving bad people good ideas anything just hilarious it would be hilarious you know um but yeah or just play kanye's um just play <laughs> kanye on alex jones in the middle of it <laughs> Or just play Joe Rogan uh, in the middle of like a point, being like, "Yeah, Jamie, you know, pull that shit up, Jamie, you know, pull that up, Jamie." <laughs> It'll be just hilarious to see like Kanye with uh, impersonating Netanyahu <laughs> in the middle of Game Point. <laughs> That'd be hilarious to me. Um, as that, I'm giving up. I'm that's my dark sense of humor coming out. I'm, my apologies there, but um. Overall, that happened, and it was great, and I hope to see more of that happen as well. So anyways, guys, I think that's it for the podcast today, guys. Thanks so much for watching. Thanks so much for listening. Make sure you guys like, subscribe, and click the bell icon for notifications down below. Make sure you follow me on my my Instagram, my X, and my TikTok. All the links are in the description box below. Make sure you, follow, make sure you subscribe, actually, to my podcast channel, my podcast clips channel, and my stand-up channel. All the links are in the description box below. Uh, make sure you rate and review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And if you're able to, uh, make sure you spread it through your text chains and through your group threads, uh, through your WhatsApp. Uh, to get more and more people invested in this podcast is always a great sight to see. To get people just spread it through word of mouth is always amazing. Uh, I really do appreciate it, by the way. Uh, I don't really say that often, but I do appreciate it. Uh, any help that you can give me is great as it is. So the fact that you're listening to it as well is good enough as well. So I'm, I'm very, I don't say that often and I feel like I should. None of this is lost on me. Obviously I know I'm privileged to have this podcast and be able to talk for, not for a living. Obviously I do this as a passion, but <laughs> which is, which is kind of sad to say, but um, none of this is lost on me. I'm, I'm very thankful for all of you guys that are listening to it. Uh, and uh, I'll see you guys on Thursday. Um, we'll talk more about things that are happening in the tennis world, uh, things that are happening outside of the tennis world that are happening in politics. Hopefully there are some interesting stories that are happening there and things that are happening in our culture. Because as we all know, I can't wait to talk about culture. You know, I really cannot wait to talk about culture. Um, so yeah, that's it for the podcast today, guys. Thanks so much for watching. Thank you so much for listening. I'll see you guys on Thursday. All right, guys. Peace. See y'all.